Hello and welcome to Series 5 of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I talk to a different knitter about why they knit and how knitting benefits their mental health. This week's podcast episode is slightly different. This is an interview that was recorded as part of Project Knitwell's 2023 Knitathon, which happened in March. Keisha Evans learned to knit 11 years ago when her son was born prematurely and was in the NICU. She was approached by Carol from Project Knitwell and she learned to knit, despite having thought that this was not something she would ever be interested in. Keisha speaks about feeling that Carol's visits were as important as those of the doctors and the nurses to her during the time that her son was in the NICU. And today she's a board member at Project Knitwell. If you missed out on the Project Knitwell Knitathon in March, you can still catch up with the talks that happened online on the day by making a donation at their website. You can find out more information at projectknitwell.org. So, hi, Keisha. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. I did go get my knitting and I got some tea because I'm not the best person with just talking about myself. So I thought, you know. Yeah, you've got your comforts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my lighting is terrible. Sorry about that because it's actually dark here now. So um, my knitting is too, my needles are too big. They're too clicky, I think, to carry on with yeah. <laughs> while we do recording. We'll see. <laughs> but there we go. But thank you for being here. It's lovely to meet you as part of the live recording for Project Knitwell's Knitathon. And um, so I always start with asking, where did your story with knitting begin? So I hear yours started through Project Knitwell. Project Knitwell. <laughs> yeah. So Carol, who's the founder of Project Knitwell, um, she, I was at Georgetown Hospital in the NICU with my micro preemie. Um, Elliot was born um, 27 weeks, um, one pound, 13 ounces. Wow. And we were at the NICU and they had various support services that they had. Um, and we happened to just be a family that for us, we I needed to be there. I needed to be with him. So I ended up having to go back to work before he came home. But there was always someone there and I was always at the bedside. But at the bedside was the continual, there was always beeping. You know, he had this tendency of stopping his heart. So his heart would stop intermittently. Um, and it became true what Carol, um, when she founded this, understood was that you can't do anything while you sit there. I couldn't do anything. When she was by the side of her daughter, she couldn't do anything. Every book you pick up has a child that's dying. And you think, well, it's kind of like learning a new word. You know how you just see that word everywhere? Mm. It was all, it just was, it was everywhere. I couldn't, I, even a magazine. And so you're there and, you know, I've read him his books and I've dressed him and bathed them and all that kinds of stuff. And they said, well, you know, there's this project. They'll come in, they'll teach you how to knit. And I kind of chuckled because I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm like, I'm not creative. I'm not crafty. That's not who I am. I don't do those things. You know, I don't knit. Like it's not, I don't even think I like what it looks like. I don't like, I don't knit, you know? Um, and I was resistant, but the other thing is I am a joiner. So like, sure, I'll go, what have you. And, you know, we were in the NICU for five months before Elliot, um, we were able to break him out. Wow. And over that course, like Project Knit will just, they showed up for me. They made sure that I had materials. 
Um, and I am, as I've learned later, which I'm sure we can talk about, I am a, I like to learn new things. So, you know, we started making him a little washcloth and we made him, um, then we made him a sweater and then we made him little booties and, you know, it just went like the, like his whole like little knit wardrobe grew, but I would sit there and I would do my skin to skin time with him and I'd have him in the little papoose and I would just sit there and I would knit and it just became this lifeline for me. It became um, a way that I could be quiet there. And it was great because I have a, my daughter was 10 um, and she she, um, is kind of in some ways like Elliot's second mom because she would come and she was like, I already know how to knit. But Carol was patient enough and she like would, you know, help Sally out. But Sally already knew how to knit. I don't know if what she produced was knitting, but she thought it was. So, <laughs> but it was, I mean, taught Sally, taught my mom, like anybody sitting there, um, any friend that came, anyone that was there at the route. And then Carol also brought in reinforcement. She's like, she wants to learn how to do X, but I don't do that. And then she would find someone else who'd come and teach me how to do that. Um, and so it was really just this huge way that I made it through our time at, um, in the NICU. And then I became a knitter. I was convinced that I would only knit toys, um, afterwards, but it has grown tremendously since then. So that's my journey. That's how I started knitting. Wow. I'm really interested in what your preconceptions were about knitting before Carol showed up with this crazy idea. Did you have an idea about what the kind of person who might knit or... You know, I don't know. I believe like I I have some pieces from my grandmother. She crocheted. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I had a vision of a knitter. It wasn't somehow I had missed, missed the whole like Stitch and Bitch book. I think it was right around that time. But I I kind of missed it. I just didn't have a view. But I had a view that it was someone who did something with their hands. They were creative. They, I don't know, sat around in circles like it just did not on any level seem like who I was. I don't know what the vision of myself was, but it was like, I just don't do that. I don't knit. Yeah. And it sounds like generally creative. You didn't particularly think you were creative in a different way necessarily. And what about now? Has that changed? You know, it's funny. I, if you asked me and I was being honest, like I would say, no, I still don't think I'm creative. Like I have people that I have taught to knit and they make their own patterns or they change them. I think the most creative thing I think I do with knitting is fix all the mistakes that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I wouldn't say that I was a creative person, but I do this. Um, you create things. <laughs> create Well, I've created this sweater. Yeah. And I have three sweaters, um, but I am a process knitter. I like the process of knitting. Um, so... If I end up with a sweater, that's nice. Yeah, but it's not the main aim. No, no. Yeah. And it's funny because my mother-in-law, who is a, she's just prolific generally. You know, she knits and she, like, she can sew. She she creates, you know, I don't know, paper things. Like, she just does all the things. Um, and she's always like, how's Mark's sweater? And I'm like, um, it's in the bag, in a really cute project bag, you know, but like, just, I don't know. It's doing great over there, but I I don't always finish the product, but it doesn't make me feel any less satisfied or that I am any less of a knitter with a capital K, which is how I define myself. Yeah. 
And in terms of the process, what do you think it gives you like now? It is. It's a constant companion, if I could say that it Mm. is this. um, It's it's always there. There is all there is so much always there. Like there is always a project there. Yeah. Um, And I, I also love the transformation, like once the. Um, once you would join in another color or you join another stitch, or if there was something that I didn't know that I could do, like I can do intarsia, I can create an image, I can, um, I can paint with yarn, I can, like all of that, um, that possibility. And it's just this way of it evolves right in your lap, in your hand. Um, so you enjoy watching that process happen. I do. And the, and the figuring out the, how that somehow this little like thing becomes this other thing, you know, like that whole thing is just something that really just brings me joy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would see that as creative, but I don't want to argue with you not being a creative person. <laughs> do you think you've got something different at the beginning? Do you think it's changed over time? Because obviously that was, did you say 11 years ago that Elliot was in the NICU? Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, because I think before it was this thing I was learning. It was clearly a way to quiet my mind away from the fear. Like, I've grown up with people saying forever, let go and let God, like that was just like, you have to. And uh, when we were in that NICU journey until I, there was a moment, I remember it distinctly where I got there, where I was really able to just say, okay, this is clearly out of my hands and I can't control it. Um, It was something, it was part of the, um, the, the process, the work of getting there, knitting was part of that work of getting to the place where I could get to complete acceptance of this is whatever this reality is going to be and whatever this life is going to be. Mm. Um, Subsequent to that, um, knitting was just always something I was constantly thinking about. I don't even know how to, like, I, it's the oddest things. It's like cooking food maybe, and Mm -hmm. knitting might have the most brain space. Like what is new on Ravelry? What's the new yarn? What's going like, and as I would commute to work, um, you know, 45 to an hour, depending on traffic in the DC area each day, um, there was n- never not a knitting podcast, except for when the new Harry Potter books would come out. Cause then <laughs> to those, of course. Um, of course, but there was never not a knitting podcast. And, um, I actually, to this day still don't have many in per like real um, quote unquote, real knitting friends. Yeah. Um, It's on my, um, to-do list to change that, but I've got so many on my podcast. And when I finally made it to Rhineback, I was like, I was like, you guys have been waiting to see me. I know this. You would wait. <laughs> your your Rhinebeck experience is not going to be complete until you hang out with Keisha for a while because we are fast friends. We spend a lot of time together, like over yeah. the course of a month. Um, I think it just became part of my core identity as to how I occupied this world as a knitter. It was with me constantly. And it was so hard. It is hard for me still um, to understand what people do that don't knit. I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's odd. I think they scroll too much on their phones, personally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. That's it. 
Yeah, I remember sitting, I had some eye appointments I had to go to where the waiting times were so long. And it was like literally three hours every time I had to go back, maybe four times or something. And everybody's, you could just see them as their phone batteries were kind of dying and somebody had a teenager with them. And and I thought, if I have to come back here, I'm bringing yarn and needles for at least everybody (laughs) (laughs) because they were really bored. (laughs) And I had, you know, didn't enjoy sitting there and I but I had achieved you know five inches of a sleeve by the time I'd left I don't know why I knew you were working on the sleeve like that is the perfect blaze for yeah sleeve. well exactly that's what I thought I was like well I can't escape from this sleeve and it'll happen if I bring it with me to that yeah, hospital exactly yeah yeah can you remember when you turned from uh, knitting toys so we're, it sounds like everything started being knitted for Elliot mm-hmm. and then eventually Maybe once you'd left NICU, it turned, you, you've knitted your lovely ranunculus. At some point there was in that journey, you evolved into knitting other things. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of times we create our own um, boundaries for ourselves. Like in my mind, I was like, I know how to do this thing like knitting. I found like Susan B. Um, Anderson and she's got toys and toys and toys in her books. And I'm just going to knit those because I like the toys. And I don't really like knitted garments, I don't think. Or I, I'm not going to walk around with a shawl on or it's not in my style. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think then too, um, what I knew of knitting was what was in a lot of traditional books, what was in, I, I hadn't found Ravelry yet in earnest. I haven't, hadn't found new podcasts and the new stuff and the younger designers that people were making. And so I just had this one notion of like, okay, this is a fine thing I can do. I can make top toys. Hmm. Um, and I had a lot of grandiose, um, ideas that I would make Elliot clothes. But then at that time I didn't realize that I was a process knitter, not a product knitter. So I had a lot of like started sweaters or started little bits. Um, but I think once I felt like I was part of the knitting community, like once I was listening to and the Knit More Girls and I became part of the Yarny Eggs community, I felt like, oh, wait, there's these people are doing all this amazing stuff. And then I started to see it and, and the Ravelry groups. And then I was like, well, I can try this. And I wish I could tell you what my first this was. Um I, I just don't know. I, sh- I wish mm. I had thought to so look So it sounds back. like a big part of it was discovering that community out there yeah. and feeling you wanted to be part of that or you were already part of that. Right. Um, yeah. And I think I certainly have that feeling about podcasts that those people feel like my friends in a way that I don't feel like that about people on TV or, you know, I think it's quite an intimate thing when you listen yeah. to podcasts. Yeah. yeah. You feel like, you know, and I, and I, and I, I'm so happy that you guys do it. And I admire that you can, you create that space and hold that space for us because, um, you are really opening people up to your world in ways that you don't even think about it. Like, you know, I know about what their kids and I know about what they, they yeah. and, and you know, you know, all these things that you would know about someone that you're building a relationship with and you feel like they know it about you as well. But it was definitely once I became part of that community. And I think also doing what we don't know that we have a lot of times as people is that we have these preconceived notions about how the world is that we don't even know are there limiting our perspective. 
And it's like, it's only once you can, I feel like you get something that kind of even shows you that that wall is there, that you're then able to um, kind of just see that, there, oh, there's this whole other thing out there. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like some of the things I thought I would never do, like I was like, I, someone showed me Fair Owl and I was like, oh, that's, that's not me. I mean, and now that's like, you know, my happy place. Yeah. So I'd love to know more about what you choose to knit. It's interesting. Do you feel like you were always a pro- process knitter? Not always. I mean, initially it was like, I'm making Elliot this sweater, the socks, this, 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 that. Um, but then I started to realize that I was, um, I didn't, I don't know that I get bored, but I want that next I love that challenge. Like it's more interesting to me that I've mastered something that I didn't know that I could, yeah. you know, I could knit Feral flat or something. That's more interesting yeah. to me that I know how to do that than that I have a have the actual Feral sweater that I've been working on for seven years. Like, you know, it's yeah. just so you like uh, the learning and the sense of achievement and the kind of progress. Mm-hmm. And then there's yeah. always so much, and I like the new excitement, right? Because there's a new, there's a new thing. There's a yeah. new, like, and you don't run out of that with knitting. No, you don't. You don't. No. <laughs> and your stash doesn't get smaller. I mean, does anyone know how to make that happen? I don't know how I got um, a stash. Moths is how it happened for me, um, <laughs> sadly. Um, yeah, but I also felt I I got a um. I was wondering about asking about stash actually as a new um, question for this mm-hmm. series about the podcast about your relationship with stash. I don't know if you've ever read Clara Parks's book. Uh, I think it's called A Stash of One's Own. Mm. Um, but it's really interesting kind of different essays about musings on relationship with your stash and the mm. idea of, you know, I suppose women having a space and having something of their own and that you know, there's a lot of dominant narratives about guilt for having mm-hmm. that. Um, but I used to feel guilty about uh, buying new yarn instead of using what was in my stash, as though it was kind of, I don't know, giving it a personality or feelings, <laughs> as it was just yarn. <laughs> but I don't get that now. I like to buy something with a project in mind. And I think that works better also when you have moths. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um... I don't know how I got a stash. I think I think initially there was like the not the reality of like how long it would take me to knit something. Mm. So then I'm like when when I learned oh then my gosh I can visit all the yarn stores in this area and buy yarn like buy a project at each one, and then realizing that like I don't you know that's you've already bought five years worth of projects. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so like I just I don't know when you're going to do that. Then at some point, um, travel became all about um, my souvenirs were no longer plastic or no longer a T-shirt or no longer a hat. It was always like, what is some local yarn from here? And I love to travel. um, And I'm starting to be able to do that again as I like get the courage post-pandemic to like leave Mm. my house. Um, And... uh, I, so then I got all this kind of souvenir yarn that really had zero purpose. It was not attached to anything. Um, and then because I love the new project or the new concept, like then I'm buying for projects and it has slowly grown. And do you still 
like do you have kind of particular memories associated with I don't know either things in your stash or things you've then that have then turned into things that remind you of I don't know where you bought them or what was going in your life when you made them Mm -hmm. yes no absolutely and I have I like to say that my my memory is more like a watercolor. So, you know, I have <laughs> friends that can remember what they said and where they were. And they were like, don't you remember we were having dinner here and you said this? And I'm like, I don't have any recollection of that at all. However, just last weekend, a friend was over who was trying to do some of that Japanese darning. And I said, well, mm-hmm. you could use some of my, my yarn. I have a big, I have two glass jars of like the remnants from Project. Yeah. And I don't even, under, and I don't, because I have like three sweaters, I don't understand where all these remnants came from. Like, but then I, I open it up and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was this. And this was, Mm -hmm. oh, and I gave that to this person. And I I purchased this on that little tiny Island in the South of France. Like, you know, like you just go through just these little tiny remnants of yarn capture my life in a way that just, if you ask me a question about like, how was that trip to France? I'd say it was magical. And then you'd say, so where did you go? And I'd be like, some little towns. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> but then I start looking at these little pieces of yarn and it just all like unfolds. And clearly I did something with it. Now it might still be in a project bag somewhere, but like I started it, I I swatched it. The stacks of swatches are like, uh, that is, I love that. I love those. Mm. Well, you're obviously very good at swatching better than me my my biggest swatching problem and I need to solve this is that I'm not great at reading the swatch once I have it like I feel like either the swatch lies or I don't count the stitches right or I don't get the gauge correct it's a challenge um I have to say that probably usually my response is to just not really swatch that much but I I don't really recommend that (laughs) I also unravel things quite a lot (laughs) so I'm not sure it's a great strategy yeah. Um, are there particular types of knitting that you gravitate towards, like in terms of the technique? Does that, as a process knitter, matter to you in terms of thinking about whether it's stockinette, or whether it's colour work or lace mm. or different mm-hmm. things? Yeah, I like um, projects where I haven't done that something in it before. Like mm-hmm. Ranunculus was really fun because believe it or not, like all the, all the process that everything's different. Like I hadn't cast on this way. I hadn't done this, the stitches the way that, and I clearly couldn't understand how there could be one size of a sweater that would fit most people. Um, and so when I hear that there's a new technique or like somehow you're going to start knitting kind of what is that vertically? And then it turned like I, that just, I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, Feral now I've become um, a huge Marie Wallen fan. Like mm-hmm. they just, I mean, they don't get finished and they're just, they sit here. Um, <laughs> but when I can pull them out and like, look at, I don't, I just don't understand how she can take these colors and they're so subtle and so close yet everyone has like a little bit of light and a little bit of depth and you know yeah so you enjoy seeing all that how that all that happens all that happens yeah yeah I just I find that just really fascinating and I'm Mm. sure that like you know people in my life laugh because I'm like do you see what just happened right there like do you see that like that's amazing you know like I'm constantly showing yeah um, yeah. And they don't really get it, presumably, if they're not knitters. 
I think they, they, I don't think they get, they, they think the whole thing is magic, right? Like they don't, I don't think that my, you know, Farrow sweater is particularly different than a hat in there. They're just like, I can't yeah. believe any of that. Sure. Yeah. Could you make me one tomorrow? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah. yeah, that there's a, it's hard for people who don't knit to know the difference between, right. you know, what for you feels like took thousands of hours and what took five minutes and what yeah. was difficult and what was easy sure mm -hmm. yeah so it sounds like in terms of why you've stuck with knitting you really enjoy the kind of new uncharted territory the sense of kind of adventure in trying something new and seeing something that maybe impresses you or something that feels quite that you couldn't do maybe like the color stuff that that feels like it's there's a certain magic in that yeah. that that feels um new and interesting for you and you love to learn and get a sense of achievement from doing something new yeah all of yeah. that for sure is true in addition to it's kind of like I mentioned earlier I'm just not sure how you cannot knit mm. I don't know and what do you in terms of what else it gives you so there's this constant companion so it's always something to do mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Like, how does it make you feel when you do it? I, you, I, I'm immediately kind of with my project. I'm calm. I'm connected. I'm not focused. It, I guess it's this very clear way of connecting you to the present moment mm. um, in a way that, you know, I try to achieve through my meditation, but I have to pay attention to the pattern. I have to pay attention to what I'm doing. I have to, there's only so much, I think, that you can allow your mind to get wrapped up in like, oh, I need to finish this deal or I need to finish those documents or I forgot to tell my team this. Or I, it, I get transported from a very um, must do, must do, have to do, need to do a of, and all those things that at some points can become overwhelming to I'm just pausing to put do a row. Mm -hmm. So it switches that busyness off. Yeah. And it allows you to just do that. Just to do that kind of row, mm -hmm. which never is a row. I mean, sure. Always like, well, one more, <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, it, it, I think it just, it just has this very clear way of saying, you know, right here, right now. And not even, I guess I would also add, like, it's not even just about me being calm because I knit when I'm in the car, I knit at church, I knit at, um, I knit everywhere. So I'm yeah. I'm still able to focus on whatever is in front yeah. of me or around, but somehow it, it hones in on this is where we are. This is what's happening right now. This is what is important. Yeah. Um, that calm, that steadiness, that, um, it takes a lot of the frenetic. It's like, it's to your point of being at the eye appointment or at any um, sporting event or kids event, or, you know, you're, when you're waiting in any kind of uncertain moment, it really just relieves some of that anxiety, that mm. stress. Um, for me, I have found that it just really creates a space where I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in and, you know, find out what's going on with my mom. But at the same time, I'm just going to be knitting and it's going to be, it's, it's all fine. Mm -hmm. 
It's and just, I suppose yeah. you learned it from the beginning in that context, didn't right. you? As whereas right. I suppose maybe other others mm-hmm. of us, um, I certainly feel like I took an embarrassingly long time to kind of use it deliberately in that way, right. despite being mm-hmm. a psychologist. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until later I would use it more intentionally to bring that sense of calm and sitting with, you know, when you're feeling worried or not knowing how something's gonna coping with now. not knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm bringing you to the here and now because I guess in that Nick, you your mind wanders to the what ifs a lot. You're trying to understand and, what does that beat mean? What does that one mean? You know? Yeah, and how long is this going to last for? And having lots mm-hmm. of stuff. I wondered about control actually because I was listening back to one of my previous um, podcast episodes where somebody mentioned having something they could control in the context mm-hmm. of like I think we were talking about the pandemic and that they needed the knitting to be something. That was one thing that was within our control at the time Mm -hmm. was the knitting project where lots of other stuff seemed big and scary and I suppose I wondered about that in the NICU whether that also felt an important part of this is a thing yeah (laughs) as a pattern and a beginning and an end when other stuff was a bit a lot more uncertain yeah that that is true the control and the being able to actually complete and to feel useful because if there's ever a space where you don't feel like there's you have any power or purpose um, and to be frank, like you're in a space where you're constantly questioning, what did I do to make this happen? Mm. Like, what, what did I, what did I do to make this child sick? What did I do to, um, that we're here right now? Now your intellectual mind can tell you that like, this isn't necessarily about you, but it is very hard in that moment and creating something putting him on the sweater and the hat and the, like, it was like, I am useful. I have purpose. I can complete something. Um, It was a way of showing love and care. Also like having a little bit of agency Mm. um, at a time where I didn't, I didn't have any, Mm. or I didn't feel like I had any. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds, it was really important that you could create things that you could give Mm -hmm. him and put on him and use for him in that moment yeah Mm -hmm. and obviously now fast forward 11 years later and he's almost turning into a teenager (laughs) and you are involved in project netwell still yes what was it that made you feel that that was something you wanted to do it just was so critical and life affirming like it it project netwell was as important as like the doctors and the nurses who i have the greatest amount of respect for what they can do is amazing but giving me and even my family as a result this tool to carry me through that process and then to carry me through life i mean it wasn't just about that moment it it was a tool and a new identity for life um and being able like to to help and facilitate giving that tool to someone else was just something that I had to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, Carol realized, and it was really nice because it was kind of like well, there was another nurse in the NICU who had actually lost her, her her daughter in the NICU at that NICU and was able to still come back and work and help other families and babies. It was just like 
in, in an incredible gift that a person could do. Mm. And then when you see Carol, who her daughter went through multiple heart surgeries and her realizing that being able to knit um, was the only way that she could get through waiting in those long surgeries. Mm. And it's one thing to, to realize that. And I think in my life, you realize that and then you just go and say, okay, now I've got this tool and you move on but realizing how important of a tool this is for mental health and then being able to give that to other people, it just changes what's available in this kind of cosmic connection of a world that we all share. And this Mm -hmm. seemed to be my involvement and support, just a way that I could help pay it forward because I know that it matters, right? Mm. I I know there's, there's few things in life I know, but I know that um, this knitting matters for your mental health and, and for, um, the ability to just be able to, um, function and put life in perspective and to distill down that like hard stuff can happen to us and we're meant to do hard things and we can do them if we have the tools to be able to do them. And I feel like this is one of those tools. Um, it's, it's just one of those like things I know to be true in life. So I mm. wanted to do whatever I could do um, and in any ways that I could be supportive of this organization that I really think matters. That community, like, while I haven't found community in person, finding community with other knitters, knitters are just a different, I mean, I know that knitters, they sit all, like they have all, they're from all around the world and they have all different kinds of views, but there's just you meet a knitter and there's just a different level of compassion and humanity and just, I, I don't know what it is. Mm. A, a shared thing of getting it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so like, you know, when yeah. I hear you talk about how important it's been for you and how transformative it was and wanting to share that with other people, it's like, you know, I'm sure here with everybody listening, you're kind of preaching to the choir that everybody, <laughs> I'm sure is like Lauren's nodding, like people just understand that they've, exp- you know, I'm sure all of us have experienced that on some level, mm-hmm. Um, maybe not in quite such a dramatic, you know, sense as in the NICU for you, but on some level. And I think there's something about it being a non-verbal thing for the times in your life where there isn't a way of talking your way out of, a situation yeah. that nothing you say is going to make it any better or you just um, are there You're yeah there. but it's a way of kind of carrying on and surviving anyway mm-hmm. yeah yeah With two little stitches that could be configured into I mean boundless possibilities right it's mm-hmm. just knit and pearl at the end of the day um, we're just humans at the end of the wet at the, at the end of the day, but how we string it all together, how we create that common and shared weave, I think is kind of all about what this journey is about. And it's, I don't know, for me, I feel like it's all here in these two needles and it seems mm. like something so simple that we can all, um, be doing to really get mindful. And, and I, that's what project Knitwell does. And it just kind of expands where and who, they don't have this kind of block of like, I only, we only help these people or we can only help, but it's just available. Realizing this is a tool that we can offer to all kinds of folks who are experiencing trauma, pain, hardship, loss. Um, yeah. I believe in yeah. what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Keisha, I always ask about a significant knitting project. Can you think of something that's been significant for you in your knitting journey? 
Yeah, I thought about it. I brought my lyric here. Um, this is a Marie Wallen that I've been working on. Um, and it, the thing that's funny about this is that like, um, I've been working on it for years. Um, and I, I got my twist on my cast on twisted. And so it took me a while to find someone who could help me untwist. I should have just called Lauren. If I listened to it, <laughs> she would have helped me. Um, but I, I think it's significant in the sense of like, well, you know, me, it doesn't have to end. Um, but it just was like something that I had never done before. And it was something so like that I would never, ever do. Um, and so I'm sure that I'm going to be 60 before it's finished. Um, but um, it's this all over, like, let me see if you can see some of it. Like it's this all. Wow. Over. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Beautiful. And the colors are all in a very similar kind of family, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Like it's just, um, but it just gives me joy every time I pick it up and I get a moment to like work on it because it's something that I never thought a, I would want to do nothing mm -hmm. that I ever thought I could do. Mm -hmm. And then it's just this little bit that whenever I get a moment, um, when I haven't worked a 13 hour, 14 hour day that I can just say, oh, look, I created this little rosette <laughs> and yeah. it brings like so much joy at the possibility of it all. And I guess the pattern looks like it's kind of constantly changing. It's constantly, rows, yeah. I, I probably should have started showing you like what it's supposed to look like because, you know, these days I forget that it's going to eventually be this like. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But how lovely to have like a project. You don't have to worry about it ending. I feel a bit like with my knitting projects, it is a bit like reading a good book. You kind of want to find out how it turns out, but you also don't want it to end. And then when it does end, yeah. you feel a bit sad. Yeah. You're like, oh no, I've got to move on. Like I got to let that one go. Um, yeah. I think that that was probably the most, is the most significant thing I've tried. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds like you, that's because you've surprised yourself in a number of ways in being able to do it and wanting to do it. And, and are those the exact colors in the pattern? Yeah. She, you, you just get this whole kit. She just okay. this kit with like, I mean, so much yarn. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're watching how the colors kind of marry yeah. together and emerge as you right. do And it. then also like the colors are emerging, the project is emerging, but then I'm learning more about like knitting in Shetland. Like, see, this is where mm. it all kinds of falls apart in a way, because then you learn about this knitting for me, the knitting tradition. And then I'm trying to find out more about Shetland and then the Shetland Isles. And then I'm like, well, I guess I need to go there. Maybe I'll go there and knit for a while, uh, you know, like in Iona and I'll meditate. That sounds great. You know, like, can I, I meet you there? <laughs> please, please, please. Uh, I don't even live that desperately far. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah. I was watching a nature program yesterday about orca off the coast of Shetland and I was like another good reason to go <laughs> right. see this it, it just all fits together and it all just kind of grounds this life that I'm trying to live somewhat intentionally so it does sound like it lights up quite a few things for you actually like that's the kind of travel part of you I suppose isn't it the, per mm -hmm. the part of you that's attracted to that adventure and finding out about new places that actually mm -hmm. knitting can light all of those uh, 
sparks, I suppose. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I did that. Uh, like, um, Arnie and Carlos did that a while ago for me. I was like down another little rabbit hole, like Christmas balls and knitting in their style and learning how to purl that way. Just, I don't know why, why not? Just. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think that's a great attitude to have about learning though. I think it's good mm -hmm. for us to learn new things and it gives you a sense of achievement. It's obviously something that, you know, you're clearly someone who is attracted to that element of it. And um, yeah, and I think that's the thing with knitting, isn't it? You can do it for 40 years and never run out of new things to learn. Correct, because you've got all that stash that still seems to be yeah. <laughs> behind the doors, those doors right there. I'm just imagining if you opened them, that the whole lot would come tumbling out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, blocky wires, it just all tumbles out. It's quite... That sounds like it's getting dangerous now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Keisha, I always ask about um, your relationship to mistakes. Because okay. I guess, as I assume they happen to all of us, they certainly happen to me with great frequency in knitting. And I wondered how that goes for you. I don't think there has been one project that I have not cast on twice. Mm -hmm. um, I Then I had a goal at one point, I was going to knit a whole project with no mistakes. I've never accomplished it to this date. Um, and I, I don't know why I'm, I make so many. It, it is a thing that perplexes me, um, but I always look at them as like, huh, that's an opportunity to create another design feature. Yeah. <laughs> or as my partner likes to say, Mark says, well, don't you like to knit? So just pull it out and knit it again, right? Like, isn't that, what's what's the problem? I don't, I don't get the issue. Or there's a constant joke that like, I'll be doing something. I'm like, this is totally wrong. And he's like, watch, mom's going to. Mom's gonna have to pull that out again. Like I make so many mistakes. I just don't know why. But is it not because that's what we all do? I suppose my baseline is some assumption is we all make lots of, I don't know, I certainly make plenty of mistakes. And I feel like I just kind of now I feel like my relationship to mistakes has evolved over time. I'm more mm -hmm. accepting of them now. And like being a process knitter, also like you, I think. I kind of feel like, well, I enjoyed the knitting. It's not like I'm going to stop doing it once I got to the end of this sweater. So if I have to unravel it and re-knit it, you know, winter always tends to show up again. <laughs> yes, right. time. Right. I'll have another opportunity right. to wear it. Right. Um, yeah. Do you rip back when you see them or do you kind of fudge them or does it depend on the circumstances? Well, you know, I guess initially I will say, to be fair, mistakes were very troubling in the beginning because if mm. I was not with Carol or because I didn't have like people that knit around me, yeah. I was basically lost, right? I think that's the hardest thing about starting. Um, once I realized that I could, once I learned that I could just pull out the needle and just like unravel and pick up stitches, that was like a game changing moment. It was like, I bet you birds started to sing because yeah. it, it, when, before I was doing all that, like picking back and, you know, but like when I was like, oh, just, I am, I will pull out a needle and just, and then mm -hmm. pick like, that was a game changer for me. So I am very want to do that. I have realized recently that my, a new problem that I have and why I make a few mistakes is that I don't count regularly. Cause like by the time there's like 400 stitches on, I'm like, I need to stop and count. But then when you get to join the sleeve, if it's, you're supposed to have 30 stitches and you have 60, 
Yeah. So that's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah. And then also because I put things down. So, you know, I put a project down and I'll come back to this, like my lyric, like, you know, a month from now. Mm-hmm. And if I don't take precise notes about where I was. Yeah, which, that's tricky if there's a time yeah. gap. Yeah, for sure. I, I would find that hard. I don't say I don't set myself up for success. <laughs> so if you always got more than one thing on the go at once. Always. Yeah. Always. Always. And do you I have think. like different things for different circumstances, or is it just because, oh, this thing is new and exciting and I'll pick that? Yeah. I normally have something that I'm trying to knit along with with um a friend of mine, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that she's knitting and I'm knitting and I'm normally like, you know, months behind her. Um, <laughs> and then I normally have something that I really want to be knitting. And then one, you know, like I keep, there's a project in the car, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a project, like there's their projects stashed various places. And then there's projects that I've swatched for and all the yarn is wound and they're, um, Mark is my, my, he wounds, wounds all my yarn for me. Like, it's oh, that's a good service. Go. he puts them in the bags and then he's like, did you start the other one? You asked me to wound <laughs> because <laughs> so there's always something, um, going, there's a lot of dreams. There's a lot of dreams. Yeah. But that's kind of part of the fun part too, isn't it? The yeah. dreams. Yeah. I mean, I've got three brand new dreams that are ready to go. <laughs> I just, just just need a moment to sit down and like do that first cast on yeah but then it feels like a treat I always think like oh I, I know have a new like thing to cast on when I've done my tax return every year <laughs> that's my kind of reward <laughs> well, that's a good yeah. yeah I can recommend that yeah that's a nice that's a good if you get to the point where you're like I really want to start something new but I won't let myself until I've done the tax return yeah yeah that's great yeah um Keisha, I always ask the question, what is the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? Oh, it's given me endless possibilities. That's lovely. Yeah, endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. So it's always a companion and there's always more you can do. Always. (laughs) Always more dreams. Yeah, always more I can do. Always ways I can calm myself down. Always ways I can bring myself present. Um. Yeah, always ways that I know that there's like hope and beauty out there despite everything. Mm. Yeah, it's it's been a tremendous gift and I am very thankful to Project Knitwell for that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me and everybody else who has listened. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Why I Knit podcast. If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can visit my website, which is therapeuticknitting.org. You can also support the podcast by donating monthly on Patreon. You can find out more by visiting patreon.com forward slash therapeuticknitting. You can also follow me on Instagram at knittingistherapeutic. I always love to get your suggestions for people to interview for the podcast. So if you or someone you know would make a great guest on the podcast, then please do get in touch and let me know. You can email me at mia at therapeuticknitting.org or you can get in touch with me by direct message on Instagram.